Am I on now? How's that? All right. Now, no promises whether I'll keep the cat sweater on the whole time because it might just be a puddle on the stage if I wore it the whole time where I was as I melt away. So I'm going to turn a fan on and I'm going to try and wear it. This is real cat hair, by the way, just so you know. No. <laughs> so if you have allergies, be careful around me. All right. So... Last week, we were continuing the story of Exodus, and we were crossing the Red Sea. We were singing wonderful praises and tributes to Yahweh for um, getting them out of, Israel, or out of Egypt, across the sea, feeding them water. All their needs were met. Things were rocky, but they were moving. And so this week, we're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 17 now, right after the Red Sea crossing, the manna, and the bitter water stories. And we're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 to 7. I'm going to be reading from the NIV version, but before I do, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the good news of Jesus. Lord, as we read these stories, may they remind us that they point to you, and that, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, that our hearts and our minds and our actions and our very character would be changed and transformed to be more like Jesus, your Son. And, Lord, may we represent him well wherever we go. Lord, speak to us the things we need to hear today. And, Lord, that we would leave here more like you. And we pray it in your Son's name. Amen. All right. We're picking up Exodus chapter 17. We're reading from NIV verses 1 to 7. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water. And they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Whew. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. That's not a great place to be as a leader. Then the Lord said, answered Moses, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb, strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel and he called the place Massa and Meribah because of the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? So, what happened last week with the water? Quick little recap. The water was bitter. They couldn't drink it. They went to Moses. Moses uh, went to God. God told him to take his staff, the same staff that keeps showing up throughout the whole story, and he puts his staff in the water or the branch, and the water becomes sweet. And now... They're back at water issues again. So, starting in verse 1, it says, traveling from, the place, from place to place as the Lord commanded. So here's the first interesting point. 
God moved them from places where there was water to a place where there wasn't water. It wasn't the Israelites' plan to go and move. They were following the Lord. And where the Lord led them, there was not an abundance of water. They were quite concerned. Who would be concerned if you don't have water? Me too, right? And here they are without water, where the Lord had led them, and they were thirsty. And they complain. So God tells Moses, take the elders, go, and I want you to take your staff, and I want you to strike the rock. There's another story about this in Numbers 20 that it's in contrast to this. It's actually at the end of the story, and it kind of combines it. But in this case, he does exactly what the Lord has asked him to do, and he strikes the rock, and the rock pours forth water and provides for them. And they named the place, interestingly, Meribah, because it says, they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? So my question to you is, was Yahweh with them? Was he? Yes, right? We just read the whole story of Exodus up until this point. He takes them through Egypt with the plagues, The plagues do not touch them. They have protection from the angel of death, from the other plagues. Then they plunder the Egyptians on their way out. Not only did they get their freedom, but they got wealth of the Egyptians and then sent on their way. That's a miraculous with with God type of situation. Then they cross the sea with walls of water on either side of them. Then they enter the desert. And they get water, and they get food. They get a, a, a wafer from heaven called manna that is on the ground for them every morning to eat. Was God with them? Yes. But where did he lead them? Where there was no water. Because, you see, Israel had been in captivity of Egypt for over 400 years. When you've been under captivity for a while, I've never been in it in my, in my situation, but let's just say even the example of being captive of my kids. <laughs> when I'm playing with my kids, I start to talk a little bit more, baby talk. I start to maybe, uh, you'll hear me talk in a way that you're like, are you talking to me or are you talking to your kid? <laughs> and I apologize for that. But as you are surrounded by these uh, cultures and situations, you start to adapt them a little bit. And so Israel has now left Egypt, and although they are physically free, their hearts still need to learn to trust God. He's freed them physically, but their hearts are still in bondage, and they're still back in Egypt because it says right there, they said, why did you bring us out here to starve us? Why did you bring us out here to die of thirst? In other words, they're insinuating that back in Egypt, they had their needs met. So, Israel was free, but they were learning to daily trust the Lord. Is that like us? Many of us have our freedom from the Lord. When we come to the Lord, there are promises to you as a follower that are groundbreaking, shattering, that nobody else has the, the capability of offering like we, like we have in Christ. Some of the ones that we talked about throughout this series was life to the fullest. That's available to you adoption into God's family, that you can feel like you're a part of God's family because you are. You're, you're on a joint heir with Christ. Real joy, true peace are available to you as a follower. Guidance and wisdom. But like the Israelites, there's many things that are available to us that are not 
fully actualized in our lives. Sometimes I don't feel like my life is being walked out to the fullest. Sometimes I don't feel like I'm a part of God's family. Sometimes I don't really have true joy or peace. Sometimes I don't feel like God gives me guidance or wisdom the way I'd like. But these are things that are available to us, are free to us, but we need to learn to trust God. So just like Israel, let's keep reading. So we go from water to war. Oh, actually, before I get to there, I just wanted to make an interesting note. You guys remember when I said that uh, is there, or, uh, the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus, right? It's one big story, and it all leads to Jesus, right? Where's Jesus in this story? I found, I found this wonderful verse. It's from a, uh, 1 Corinthians, written by Paul, chapter 10, verses 1 to 6. This is going to connect the, the story of the water to Jesus. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 to 6. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors, he's talking about the Israelites, were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. This is talking about the cloud that led them through the desert and crossing through the Red Sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, which was manna, and drank the same spiritual drink. Wait a second, what spiritual drink? Keep reading. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ, or the Messiah. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. So who was the rock? Who was their provision in the end? Jesus! Sunday school answer. If, if, if there are ever uh, a, a pause and somebody asks you a question at church, odds are if you just say Jesus, there's a good chance you got the answer right. Who is the rock? Jesus. See, Yahweh was with them, and even Jesus himself. In verse uh, 6, it says, I will stand before you by the rock at Horeb. So where is he? He's standing at the rock, giving them and providing for them life-giving water throughout their travels in the desert. And it's interesting, this rock is introduced in this story, and then in Numbers chapter 20, when they are leaving Mount Sinai and they've been wandering in the desert, before they entered the promised land, we have another story of the rock still with them. Now, I don't know if it was the same rock literally following them around in the desert. It could have been. It could have been a rock following on the sand. I don't know. Or if it was the rocks that were provided along the way. All we know is that the rock was with them the whole travels from when they left Egypt until they entered the promised land. And that is an image of Jesus, is what Paul gives us the analogy to. See, that is a beautiful picture. As we read this story, we actually see Jesus providing for them and learning to trust and get their daily life-giving sustenance from him. Now let's read on to the war aspect. Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 to 15. This is with the Amalekites. Or sorry, did I say Genesis? I meant Exodus, if I did. The Amalekites came and attacked Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men to go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So he gets Joshua. He says, you're going to go fight. Do you know this is the first mention of Joshua ever? And do you know that Joshua is the same name as 
Yes, you guys know the, the shortcut. It's Jesus. Joshua and Jesus are the same name. For whatever reason, over time, it eventually became Jesus the way we, we transliterate. But it's actually, we're introduced to the rock that provides for them. And then the one that fights their battles for them is Jesus. It's an image of Jesus, Joshua, Yeshua. And Moses says, I will go and stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus, verse 10, fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone, put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered, and make sure that Joshua hears it, because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner, he said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be a war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. So we're just introduced Jesus as a rock. Now he is their warrior fighting on their behalf. The Amalekites come out to fight, but what's interesting is the narrator doesn't give a reason for why the Amalekites are fighting with Israel. Do you notice that? It just says they came out to fight. If we're not given the reason, I'm going, to, I'm going to propose to you that maybe that's not the main idea of the story. I believe the reason is not because they wanted to explain the war tactics or why the battle, but they wanted to focus, most of the story is focusing on how they overcame, not the actual battle details. And what overcame the Amalekites? The arms raised. Moses standing on top of the mount, or, uh, mountain with his arms raised, as their arms were, his arms were raised, they won. Moses is gone from, who remembers when God talked to him at the burning bush? He denies God or tries to get away from his task five times. He tries to not go. And now he's standing all day with his arms raised, interceding on behalf of his people. See, this becomes a major theme is that now going forward, Moses has learned his lesson that he needs to intercede on behalf of the people. Who's our great intercessor that prays on our behalf that is between us and God? Nice, you guys know my answer. Jesus. Another picture of Jesus as the righteous intercessor. Do you know what an intercessor is? Real simply, it's just a person that, or, a per, or something that you're doing on behalf of another for their betterment. You're interceding. You're standing in, 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 in their way. You're, you're mediating on behalf of somebody else. And Moses is acting out a righteous intercessor in an image of pointing to Jesus once again. And did you know that these people, how, how well have the Israelites done as far as following God up to this point? It's a mixed bag. They follow, but they have their doubts along the way. They're an unfaithful people, though, in general. But they are blessed by Moses' righteous intercession. His faithfulness stands on behalf of the people. So other than seeing these stories as just an image and a type of pointing to Jesus, what are some keys that we can take away from this? This is what I was thinking. 
Israel initially was chosen because God made a promise to which one man? Abraham. And he said, I will make you a blessing to the whole world. You will be a blessing to the, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you, was the phrase. So if God is using Israel to become an intercessor to the whole world, when we look at our lives, we are a part of Israel. Our lives are to represent Jesus and to be righteous intercessors to, say, our co-workers. Maybe our, a, a family member that maybe might not be so deserving of righteous intercession, or a friend, or whatever it might be. God is calling us to be a righteous intercessor and to learn to trust and obey. It's not much different for us. As we represent Christ going forward, we need to learn to trust and obey, even with our basic instincts like water, food. Pastor Daniel also was talking about being religious. Many of us live our lives as though we either put on a show, like because we're a Christian, we need to look and act a certain way, or maybe we hide from people, or maybe we don't feel like we can express our real pains or our hurts to somebody because whatever reason, and we hide. See, Israel was at least real about their needs and their desires, so may we also learn to be religious and go to God when we need our water, when we need him to fight our battles, and may we remember to be an intercessor for others. So, as we go forward, our next story, probably sometime in the new year, we're going to be at Mount Sinai. And we're going to continue the theme of Israel as a people group needing a in righteous intercessor as they're supposed to learn to be intercessors to the rest of the world. And we're going to learn about being an intercessor as well. But let, I'm just going to invite up the worship team and we're just going to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are providing our water, that our water comes from Jesus, our daily life and sustenance comes from you. May we go nowhere else other than you. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are fighting our battles on our behalf. And Heavenly Father, we are praying that you would teach us to be intercessors in our worlds, in our spheres of influences, that we would have support like Aaron and her holding our arms up as we intercede for others. And Lord, that the, the whole culture and the place around us would be transformed as we stand in that place. And so Lord, I ask for a blessing over us that as we go from here, help us to see Jesus in these stories and help us to stand in the gap for others. And Lord, bless us as we go. May we represent Jesus wherever we are. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.